Before I turn the service over to Brother Willie, I want to bring up one thing real quick, and I can't see back here. W.E. and Marjorie, I want you to, to know that the, their house burnt, was it Thursday? Thursday? Okay. Their house burnt to the ground Thursday. And these two have served our church faithfully for years and years and years. I think, Marjorie, you're a charter member of our church. And they need your prayers. Uh, they may need some other stuff. So give them a hug and tell them that you love them because they have served this church and served God for many, many, many years. And we love you. I give her a hug every morning. I try not to hug W.E., but I do Marjorie. Okay? W.E. just pats me on the back real hard, so he keeps me alive. But they, they, are, they are special to me. Uh, I used to go to this church when I was this big, and guess who was here? I can pick four or five people that were here at that time, and uh, Margie was here, okay? So pray for them and love on them, okay? Kai Alpha, Brother Woolley, come on up here. <laughs> we're glad to have you again. We've had this, we've had uh, Brother Jim here once before, right? Or yeah. Is it once or oh, twice? Yeah. Are yeah. we going to play cards, or what are we going to do up here? No, 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 no. It's just, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Okay, all right. Well, y'all welcome him, and we're going to turn the service over to you and let you take it. Well, okay? thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Uh, I just want to say, I, you know what? If, if I didn't live so far away, this is where I'd go to church. I just, I just love the atmosphere here, the friendliness here, the worship. Oh, my goodness. Y'all could have just gone on, set me to the side. I'd be happy. And uh, that was just incredible. That, that right there was worth the drive alone. And uh, so, God bless you. What a reflection of, of your pastor's heart that, that you are, and, and uh, it's just a thrill to be here. Actually, let me just get right to it. We're going to, I, I'd really like to talk about, is it okay if I move this? Okay. I didn't think it was a thing of worship, but I just wanted to make sure before I, I set it down there. Um, <laughs> eh, don't laugh. We all have idols somewhere, don't we? But that's a different message. Um, I want to talk about the Father's heart a little bit, and that, this is what this message is, is really wrapped around is the Father's heart. Not long ago, um, I'd been out really late. We had a young man out of Chi Alpha who had gone to Memphis to the hospital, and, uh, and so while I was gone, um, my wife had called me and said, now, if, in case you don't remember, we have four children, me and my wife. The oldest is um, 26. And then we have a 21-year-old daughter who's about to get married. I'm still trying to process that out. Um, then we have a 9-year-old daughter, and we have a 6-year-old daughter. And uh, so we have two that are out of the nest, and we have two that are coming up. And wouldn't trade places with anybody. But I was gone late, and Julia called me and said, Jim, both little girls are just feeling horrible tonight. They're sick. And, and so... Uh, you know, we, we prayed while we were there at the hospital, and, and uh, when I got home, it's probably about 2 a.m., I stumbled into my bedroom and realized, well, my spot was taken um, by the, by the uh, six-year-old. And so I went into their bedroom, and, and the nine-year-old and six-year-old, they, they have, a, they have a, a, a double bed, and I just flopped down beside the nine-year-old, and I just crashed. And Next morning, I never heard the alarm or anything. All that I was aware of, the six-year-old climbed up into the bed next to me and kissed me on my face. Said, Daddy, I missed you yesterday, and I love you so much. And yeah, that's what I said. 
I said, oh, baby, I love you too. I missed you yesterday. And, and I kissed her on the cheek. We just sat there and cuddled for a moment. It was just so sweet. That evening, I saw uh, Aaliyah was running through the house. I said, Aaliyah, come here, come here, come here. I said, you know what my most favorite part of the day was today? And she said, what? And I said, it was this morning when you crawled up into bed next to me and you cuddled up with me and you kissed me on the cheek and told me that you loved me and that you missed me. I said, that was my most favorite part of the whole day. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. She goes, not mine. And she got down and <laughs> ran away. Um, I, <laughs> you, you know, you don't have to make stuff up when you got kids like that. They just, they give you all sorts of stuff. But, you know, I tell you that story just to kind of set the preface of what we're going to be talking about because sometimes the Father heart of God beats on a different way than what ours do. He has a different focus and a different way of thinking. And sometimes he's willing to pour his love out on us, but we're just too busy. And uh, I want us to look at that. If you'll go to Luke chapter 15... Um, we're going to start right there, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. We're going to cover the whole chapter, believe it or not. You can start praying now that the Lord would give me the swift, quick words and descriptions to do so. I promise not to hold you past supper tonight. Uh, I'm playing. Some of you are worried now, aren't you? Starting to sweat, aren't you? Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse number 1. Let, let's, let's just read this together. Do you all stand usually at the reading of the... Okay, then stay seated. I don't care. Sometimes I'll start reading and the church will stand up and I think, where, where are we going? <laughs> so I just wanted to check. Um, verse number 1. Then drew near to Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying... This man receives and eats with them. Hmm. And he spoke this parable to them, saying. And actually, if you continue reading, he, he's got three parables. They carry the same message to a degree. But who is he speaking this parable to? He's speaking this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes who are murmuring. And, and it's important that you understand who he's speaking to when you read this. Now, the first parable is about the lost sheep. And, and you, you probably have read that. If you hadn't, you can read it later. A shepherd has lost one of his lambs. He has a 100 of them. He only counts 99. And he leaves the fold. He goes out looking for what's been lost. He founds it, and then there's a celebration of rejoicing. In the second parable, a lady has 10 coins. And she loses one of them. She has nine of them left. And she sweeps the whole house and tears it apart looking for it. And probably down in the couch cushion, don't you know? And uh, she finds the coin after seeking for it. And she calls her friends and they celebrate that she's found the coin. Then you get to the third parable. And it's the more lengthy one. We call it the parable. Anybody, anybody looking at that? The parable of the, uh, the prodigal son. Yes, we do. The parable of the prodigal son. You know, the story changes a little bit. Because something is lost, but it's not sought for. Something's off with the story. And if you understand who Jesus is talking to, the story can come together and make a little bit more sense. 
I have three chairs up here this morning, and the three chairs represent, well, they represent the three characters that we read about in, in Jesus' parable of what we call the prodigal son. By the way, when we use the word prodigal, I think sometimes, you know, I can remember at churches or, or at different things, if, if someone who's been away for a little while and they come back, you, sometimes you might refer to them and say, hey, the prodigal son has come home. And we think that the prodigal is someone who just leaves. The prodigal is someone who goes and gets involved in someone with something else and, and is absent. But that's not what the word prodigal means. And, and it's important for you to understand. The word prodigal means recklessly extravagant. It means to having spent everything. It's what the word prodigal literally means. And we're introduced to, to three people in this. And in, in the middle seat here, this is the father. This right here is the father. And to his right, his right hand, would be his elder son. And we're going to talk about the elder son in just a moment because I think he's probably the least understood of the three in the story. And, and usually when you talk about the prodigal, we really concentrate on the younger son. But let's don't ignore him. There is also the younger son in the story. He's the one we refer to as the prodigal. Uh, before we go any further, let me just say this. I think that one of these sons should have been prodigal, but it wasn't the one in this seat. One of them should have had the idea of spending extravagantly, but it wasn't this young man. It was that young man. Now, what we know about this young man is that he comes to his father one day and he, he basically says, Dad, I'm tired of the farm. I've worked all my life here. I'm tired of the dirt. I'm tired of, of being out every day. I'm tired of sweating. We have a lot of stuff here. I want you to go ahead and give me what's mine. I want you to give me my inheritance. And the father does not argue. Now, we always think of an inheritance coming after someone passes away. Then you get the inheritance. But in the Eastern culture, in the Jewish culture, often the inheritance would come before the father passed away. He would enjoy giving his children the things that he had worked so hard for, and he always worked for their benefit. And so it was his joy, it was his delight to bless his sons. And so the younger son receives his part of the inheritance. And you know the story. He goes away. His seed is empty. He's nowhere around to, to be found. He's gone. The father doesn't know where. And, and, and he goes out and he parties. He's reprobate. He's what we would call the reprobate son. He goes out and he spends all of his inheritance for now. For the moment. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's make this moment count. And he goes out and he, he buys, he, uh, this is just some of the wooliology in this, but he, he rents the boats, he gets the barge, he, 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 he throws his parties, he has the finest wine there, and he doesn't mind recklessly, extravagantly, spending off the inheritance that his father has given him just to enjoy the moment. He spends it on prostitutes. He spends it trying to impress people. He has people with big names coming. He's interested in impressing them. And you know what? He has a great time until the money runs out. And the people who were willing to be his friends, their doors were shut and locked as he knocked on them asking for help. 
They were willing to take. But you know what? Was their character any different than his? That's all he was willing to do. Father, give me what's mine, and then I'm just going to spend it however I want to, and I'm just going to enjoy the moment. And he enjoyed the moments until he found himself in a pig pen, eating the slop that the pigs ate. And as he sat there, he thought to himself, and he, he, he said, basically, you know, I'm sitting here eating this slop. It's tearing me up on the inside. My father back at home, he has many servants, and they eat better than, than most people do. I'm going to go back and just tell him, you know what, Father? I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven, and I'm just asking you, will you just take me back as a slave? That's all I want to be. Now, when he said that, I don't think his heart was right at the moment. I think it was still about him. It was all about the fact that he was hungry. It was all about the fact that, that, that he was... He, he was um, in a place of poverty, it was all about the fact that still the father had something better to give. And even if he was the lowest servant, he would be better off than he was in that pig pen. It was still all about him, not about the father. And you know the story. He goes home and the father meets him and kisses him and brings him back into the home. And there's the celebration that goes on, right? Now, the second character is the father. And to me, he's very interesting. And I think without a doubt, now when Jesus was speaking of the younger son, he was comparing them to what we learn in, in the first verse here, the, the publicans and the sinners. The outcast of Israel. The father, of course, represents God the father. That's who this is. Can I, can I have a gentleman come up here and sit, just sit right here? That, you're, you're good. That's perfect. You get to be the father today. Congratulations. Yeah, clean shaven and, well, mostly. Now, I want you to get this. This seat's empty. But this seat never is. Because the father's faithful. And let me tell you where I believe this table was. Uh, the father had a heart for his sons. It was his desire to bless his sons. It was, it, 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 it was just part of his DNA. And I believe when that younger son left that you would have found this table and these chairs out on the front porch. And that first morning light, you would find the father sitting in that chair looking down that road that his youngest son had walked down leaving, looking for him to return. It's time for him to eat. He tells the servants, I'll take breakfast out here on the porch. It's time for lunch. I'll take my lunch out here on the porch. I'm looking. I'm busy. Day in, day out. It's supper time. I'll take my supper out here on the porch. And his heart was for the son that was absent. The son who had an empty chair at the table. And let me tell you, friend, the chair was not removed. It was waiting for the return. He's waiting for that young boy to come to his senses and come back. And every day the father sat out on that porch, looking and longing, watching the road. Everyone that walked down the road, he would look at the way they walked. Out across the fields as the, the, the shimmer of the heat came off the fields, looking at the way they walked. That's not the way my youngest son walks. He knew his son intimately. He knew his son. And he watched and he longed. And time passes by, and no one goes out searching for the younger son. Nobody. But don't you know one day, 
Maybe he was in the middle of a, I was about to say a BLT, but he was Jewish. He couldn't have bacon. (laughs) CLT, cow lettuce and tomato sandwich. Chomping in the middle of it, he sees a figure come up on the horizon. And he looks across the shimmering heat and he watches. And he recognizes the walk. And leaving everything behind, bolting from his chair, he runs out to the sun. And he grabs a hold of the sun. And he kisses him. And the son says to him, and I believe his heart was right here when he saw his father's love. I think when he came back to the father, the younger son was expecting to be reprimanded. He was expecting to be shamed for all the stuff he had spent. But see, it wasn't about the stuff, it was about him. And when he saw the father's love for him, when he saw him leap off the porch and run toward him, kiss him and hug him, the younger son He said the same line, but I believe it was with a different heart. Oh, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. And before he could finish saying, let me just become one of your slaves, the father interrupted him and said, it's time to celebrate. Bring out the family robe. We're going to cover up these rags that he's wearing here. He ain't going to look like this when I'm done. He's my son. He's my son. And he robed him and he put a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet and brought him to the house. They killed the fatted calf. And they began to celebrate. Oh, the father, the heart of the father, the heart of the father. But there's a third chair up there. This is the chair that I think we tend to forget sometimes. This, where the the younger son represented the publicans and sinners, where right here the middle chair represents Father God. Look look happy, would you? We need something happy here. (laughs) This chair is the elder brother, sitting on the right hand of the father. The reason he needs to be on the right hand is because of his position as the elder brother. The elder brother was very opposite from the younger brother. The younger brother was a reprobate. I would say the elder brother was more religious. Religiously, he worked every day. He had an incredible work ethic. He had had things about his life that you and I would admire. He was responsible. He was forward-thinking. He didn't live for the moment. He lived for the future. He would be the one that would be up every morning checking the stocks, looking and seeing where he should make his investments. He's busy building his empire. But I don't want you to think that his chair had his body in it because he was a busy man. This chair was empty because the son had removed himself from the presence of the father. But this son... He's just happy to be around the Father even though he doesn't know the Father. He's like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's religious. Doesn't
doesn't mind hanging around the presence of God, but he doesn't want to sit down in the presence of his Father because it might require something of him. He's not interested in knowing the heart of the Father because he's busy. When he'd get up in the morning and come out on the front porch, I can only imagine the Father sitting there saying, Son, sit down with me. Let's talk. Oh, Dad, I've got a long list to do today. I'm just eating on the run and getting going. And He was constantly on the move, never had time to sit in his chair and spend it with his Father. So he, even though he was around the Father's presence, he was never captivated by the Father's heart. There's a lot of people in church like that. There's not much difference between them now and what they used to be. They're just as selfish now as they used to be. They're just using God for their selfishness. They just want the blessing of God. They just want the promise of heaven. But don't interfere with my life and don't interfere with my plans. They don't have time to spend with God in his presence. God's not on their priority list because their list is long. And they'll throw him a spare bone every once in a while if they can. But they don't have time really to spend with him because he's not a priority in their life. Let me just go ahead and step into it a little bit further. They're serving other gods. They don't want God to be their life. They just want God to be a part of their life to bless what they do, to increase them. This is the elder brother. And here's a sad part of it. When the inheritance was divided, if you go back into the law and look, the inheritance was not divided straight down the middle between the brothers. The inheritance would have been divided into three parts. The younger son would have gotten one part. The elder brother would have gotten two parts. It's called a double portion. And the double portion would go to the elder brother... Not because he was better, not because, just because he was the firstborn. But with that position came responsibility. Why did the elder brother receive a double portion? Was it so that he could be richer than everyone else? No, it was so he could step into his role as a kinsman redeemer. It was so that he would take responsibility for the family and for those under them. And if they got into trouble, he now had the means to go to where they were and get them out of their trouble. But instead of taking that double portion and stepping into who he was supposed to be, he took the double portion and he was a hoarder. It was all about him. It was all about his savings, all about how much land he owned and how much grain was going for and, and corn and, and whatever else. If he had sat down and he had spent time with the Father, if he had taken his place in the seat right here and just spent time talking with the Father, you know what would have happened? The heart of the Father would have become his heart. He was just too busy. And as he listened to the Father, he would have understood that the Father couldn't go get the Son. Why? Because the Father had distributed all his goods. He had passed the responsibility on to the elder brother who was now to be the kinsman redeemer and was to become the prodigal, the one who would spend extravagantly to go and seek out that which was lost. That's why in the third parable, Jesus points out, no one went to seek the younger brother. 
because he was telling the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious of that day, that even though they had knowledge and they had understanding, if you would, a double portion, even though they were considered the elder brothers, yet it was all about them. They were willing to judge the publican. They were willing to judge the sinner. They were willing to say, I'm better than you. I act better than you. I'm more responsible than you. I've, I've got a plan for my life. You're a nobody. You're a reprobate. You're a, you, you're a turncoat. Reminds me of the two men that walked up a hill. One was a Pharisee who said, God, I want to say thank you that I'm not like this publican who's here beside me. Because I, I give all my tithes, I take care of all I'm supposed to take care of, I do what I'm supposed to do, I'll follow your law. And the, the publican that's there said he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He had his head bowed and he just beat his breast saying, God, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus said one of those men walked down justified. And it wasn't the Pharisee. Which one of the two brothers eventually found the heart of the father? When the elder brother came back, even though he was supposed to be the kinsman redeemer, even though he should have been the one out looking for the younger brother, instead he becomes jealous. They killed the fatted calf, but whose calf was it? The elder brother's. The father said, you know, he's not been a good kinsman redeemer, but I'm going to go ahead and take one of his calves, the best one, and we're going to use it to celebrate his younger brother's return. And even then, the elder brother, who had everything that he needed, didn't have to spend a penny going out to search for his younger brother. He gets mad. He gets jealous. He starts complaining, and he refuses to come into the party. But the father comes out to him. And the elder brother says, Father, I have been faithful to you all of these years. Do you want to, let me tell you something. You're in danger. Listen carefully. I'm about to give you a little nugget here. You're in danger when your walk with God becomes more about your faithfulness than his faithfulness. If you plan on standing before God and talking about how faithful you've been, honey, you're in a bad spot right now. You better be intoxicated by the faithfulness of your God toward you because even when we're not faithful, yet he remains faithful. Father, I've been faithful to you all these years. I've worked hard. I've done everything I could. I've got you a nice room set up over here with everything you could ever want. And here is your son who has taken the inheritance you've given him. He's squandered it out there on prostitutes and partying and stuff. And he comes back and you throw him a party, but you've never thrown me a party. Couldn't even rejoice. Couldn't even be excited, but was jealous. Jealous. And the father said, you know what, son, everything I have is yours. But should we not celebrate? Let, let me ask you this. I, 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 while we're talking about the elder brother, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, he says this. He says, I'm a debtor to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the unwise. I'm a debtor. Do you know that you and I, because we're believers, we're to have an elder brother, or let me put it this way, a kinsman redeemer mentality, if you would, in this world. We're to be the elder brother God's called us to be. Why? Because we've got a double portion. 
We've been born and given natural life like everyone else. Jesus calls it in John chapter 3, I believe it is, born of the water. But you and I have got another portion because we've been born again and born of the Spirit. The publican, the sinner, the person who's out there who's addicted to crack or is an alcoholic, the person whose life is ruined, don't you look down on them, friend. Except for the grace of God, there go you. You have a double portion, and that double portion is your responsibility to step up and to reach out to those who don't know and who don't have and to reach out and to minister to them from the bounty that God has given you in your spirit and in your soul and to share the heart of the Father with those who are in need of that heart. You, friend, have a double portion. You and I, this is our chair. I'm asking you. (laughs) Is your chair empty? Because you'll never step up and be the elder brother that you should be except you spend time with your father. Except you capture the heart of the father. You will be judgmental. You will be critical. You will be jealous. You will put people down. You will say, oh, one of the scariest lines in the world, they're just getting what they deserve. Don't you ever say that because I promise you, every living, breathing one of you in here don't want what you deserve. Paul says, I don't judge anybody from a natural viewpoint anymore. I see all men in and through Christ. You'll find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I look through Christ to see humanity, and what I see is a needy humanity, some people who are needy. But what is the modern-day Christian doing? We're hoarding. We're planning for our future. How many sinner friends do you have? How many Christless people do you know? I mean, really know. You have a double portion. What are you going to do with it? Let me tell you. Paul said, I'm a debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the unwise. You know what he was saying? I'm going to sum this up. Let's put it in in, in our terms. Everybody who is saved on this side of heaven owes the gospel to everyone who's lost on this side of hell. You saved? Don't you keep that gospel to yourself? Don't you hoard it up, start talking about streets of gold and mansions. I want you to listen carefully. Jesus didn't save you just to get you to heaven. That wasn't his primary goal in saving you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says that Jesus has suffered once for sins. Listen carefully. The righteous for the unrighteous, or the just for the unjust, that he might get us to heaven? No. That he might make us feel better about ourselves? No. That he might pull us out of our circumstances? No. Jesus has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to the chair that is ours. Didn't that first song we sang, didn't it talk about how God's prepared a table for us? I want to know, is your chair empty or full? 
that he might bring us to God. Do you understand the purpose of your salvation wasn't just so someday you could walk barefoot on streets of gold? By the way, why do we pave those streets with gold? I mean, if I went out here to your street and I picked, took a pick with me and I busted up some of that asphalt and made a necklace out of it, how many of you would wear a necklace of asphalt? Why do they pave the streets of, of heaven with gold? Because in heaven, compared to the glory of God, gold has lost its worth. It's good for nothing but to pave the streets with. And it makes us so excited to talk about streets of gold. Honey, it's not about streets of gold. It's about him. It's about God. It's about your father. And the fact that you have even now and here on this earth this great privilege of being reconciled to him and of knowing him and spending time with him and having his heart begin to beat within you. And you know what? You can be mowing the lawn out here in, your, in the physical realm and still in your spirit you're sitting at the table fellowshipping with your father. Huh? You, you can be at your job working but still in your spirit you can be there at the table fellowshipping with the father. This is not just, I'm not asking you for 10 minutes. I'm not telling you an hour's enough. I'm telling you this is a 24-7 deal that we've been given where we have access to the presence of Almighty God every moment of every day, and we need to take advantage of it because that's where we're transformed. That's where we're changed, in the presence of God. And it doesn't matter where I'm at or what I'm doing. As I was speeding today to get to church because I was running behind, I was still fellowshipping with the Father. He may have said, slow down. I don't know. He kept putting slow people in front of me. Maybe I just wasn't listening well enough. There's something about spending time in the presence of God doing nothing but just absorbing who he is, spending time listening to him in your word or in prayer or in song. I don't care. I'm not giving you a list of stuff to jump through. I'm talking about a real, living, vital relationship where he is just as real to you, if not more so, than the person sitting on your left or on your right this morning. He's living. He's mighty. He's glorious. He's powerful. There should be times of people who work around you look at you and say, why do you have that silly grin on your face? Don't you see what's happening in this world? No, I'm in another world right now. I'm fellowshipping with the God who's created all things and is going to bring it to the end. He's with me all the time. This is our heart, and it's only as we spend that time with God. And can I tell you, it's important that we be real there, because he already knows anyway. We can come to him, and we can sit down by him. We can say to him, Father, I'm so discouraged right now. He's going to share his heart. Father, my marriage is struggling right now. He's going to share his heart. Father, my kids, they're rebelling and I don't know what to do. I feel so hopeless. He's going to share his heart. 
But this is my strength. This is my strength. Let me tell you, we have a true elder brother. And this is the good news. The Father is always there because the Father is faithful. The reprobate son, the one we call the prodigal, who did spend extravagantly in a very selfish way, His seat's empty. The elder brother's seat is empty. The only reason it should have been empty was to go out and redeem the prodigal, the younger brother. But you know, when it comes to this chair, there's someone who has filled this so well. A kinsman redeemer we can't even imagine. He's our elder brother. His name is Jesus Christ. And he knew exactly what kind of a mess you would be. He knew what pig pen to find you in. He knew what you would be addicted to. He sees past your mask. He sees behind your persona and your reputation to the very nature and the character of your heart. Before this kinsman redeemer, even the hidden things are known. The things that you hide from everyone else. Secrets that only you carry within yourself. Your kinsman redeemer knows. It doesn't escape his gaze nor does it get past his heart. And we're told that he emptied himself. When he came and clothed himself in human flesh. To step into the role of the elder brother. The kinsman redeemer. And he said whatever debt... There is, I'll pay for it. Whatever sin's been committed, the crime and the curse is going to come on me. I am the kinsman redeemer, and I will bear what I have to bear to redeem those who will put their trust in me. And he struck his hands out on the cross, and at that moment, he became a curse in our behalf, though he did not deserve it. His blood was shed for the very fact that no matter where you're at or where you have come from or what What's in your past or what you've been hiding? He says, I will be your Savior, your Redeemer, your Lord, and your King. And I will save you to the uttermost. What an elder brother. <laughs> Let me close this. We're going to open the altars here in just a moment. You can come at any time you want. But every person sitting here, let me ask you, do you really know the heart of the Father? I have got to be very honest with you. While I was praying over this and preparing for today, I became so convicted (laughs) because I have my lists. the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart saying I've given you access to the throne and you take so little advantage of it he didn't say that to condemn he said that to encourage and as I saw that my heart broke 
And I've just got to be honest with you. I've sat in this chair quite a bit. Well, maybe I should say this. <laughs> I've been absent from this chair quite a bit in my walk. But I want to take my place in this chair now. I want to pull up to the Father's table. I want to hear what he's got to say. Even if I lay in his presence in silence, I just want to be hearing. I want to be John, like John, the beloved disciple, who leaned over on the breast of Jesus and heard his heart beating. Which chair is your chair today? Some of you in here, maybe you have run from God and maybe this is your chair. You've been living for yourself and you've been living for the moment and it's been all about you. And Friend, this morning I just want to introduce you to an elder brother by the name of Jesus Christ who's come to redeem you and to draw your heart out after God the Father. He's purchased a place at his table for you by his own blood. He's removed every obstacle between you and the Father by his own sacrifice so that you might know him. If that's you, in just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to invite you down to these altars. But let me say, I think probably today in service, and I'm not judging any person, I just speak from myself. Church, after you're part of a church for a while, it's easy to become real religious and judgmental and critical. And a large part of the reason we do that is because we've not spent time in the presence of the Father where our hearts are kept tender. I have a question for you, Christian, believer. How would I find your seat? Because what I would like to invite you to today is to take your place at his table again. And just say, you know, I've not been as close to the Father as I should. But my heart longs for his presence to know him. Just to spend time with him. Would that be you? Because you need to fill your chair at the table of your Father. This morning, would you stand to your feet? Father God, I've simply shared what you've laid on my heart today. And I share it knowing, God, my own imperfections. And I share this knowing my own lack. And Father, I'm going to be the first one today to kneel up here. But I pray for all those who are here, no matter which seat is theirs, whether it's the young reprobate son or whether it's the elder religious son neither one knows the the heart of the father but God we so desperately need to and our elder brother Jesus Christ has paid the price for that so as we open up our hearts to you I pray that you would reestablish or even establish for the first time oh God that relationship that walk that we might know you intimately, that we might know you fully, that we might, God, our hearts and our lives hunger and pursue and crave the presence for which we were created to know. God, there's nothing that can fill and nothing that can satisfy. 
Not any house, not any car, not anything we own, not even any relationship that we're in, but just this one relationship. Father God, that we might have your heart. Jesus, make it real. If today the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you would say, whichever chair, your place has been empty, but you want to take your place at the table. Would you step out where you're at right now? Would you find a place in the front here and just begin to fellowship with the Father? Begin to talk to him. Come on, friend. Don't let your pride stand in the way. Don't be afraid of what others think. Tell me about your chair today. I know my chair. I'm going to be using it. I want to know my God. I want to know my Redeemer. Will you move right now? This is your moment. You respond to the Holy Spirit, not just to Jim Woolley, but to the tugging of the Holy Spirit at your heart this morning. I want you, God, all of you, completely. God, I want you to be my life. Lord, I want you to fill my heart and my life and my soul this morning. Jesus, God, how distant I've been so many times. How busy. How busy even doing your work that I don't have time for you. Forgive me. God, I'm such a poor steward. God, I want to have your priorities beating within my heart. I I want to see as you see. I want to feel as you feel, God. When I come around people who are hurting, God, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be critical, God. What I want to be is I want the same love that I've received and the same comfort that is mine to pour through me, God, into the lives of others. Forgive me, God, for my impatience. Forgive me, Lord, for the times that I have jumped to quick judgments and remind me, Lord, of your love and your acceptance of me through the blood of Jesus. Father, thank you for wrapping your arms around me, for you pursuing me, for you running out to meet me and wrapping your arms around me, kissing me, robing me and saying, this is my child, this is my son, for restoring me to your family. God, how I give you praise for that. Give me the heart to be the right kind of prodigal. I want to be like Paul who says, I spend and I be spent. For the sake of this gospel, God, don't let me hoard one moment, one thing, one time. Not with my family. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Oh, Holy Spirit, I surrender. Holy Spirit, I surrender my hands and my feet and my eyes and my ears and my lips. I am your temple. Oh, God, I'm your temple to be filled with your presence, oh, God. Is this not the heartbeat of the Father? Oh, Holy Spirit, I want to reverence you in my life. I want to honor you. I want to honor you in the way that I live. God, even as you work in me to enforce what Christ has accomplished, to manifest it. Oh, God, help me. Lead me to hurting people. God, let my mask be removed so that I can be real. 
God, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a hypocrite. What I want to be is a conduit for your love to flow through. Jesus, I plead your blood. For each person that's responded today. Oh, Holy Spirit. Wrap them up, oh God. Wrap them up in your presence as a warm coat in the winter. I pray, God. Fill them. Stir them. Oh, Jesus, what we have is so fantastic, so real, so intoxicating. May our hearts be enraptured by it, captivated by your love. Oh, Father, I love you. God, put people in my heart, in my life, in my mind to reach out to Holy Spirit. God, I'm just a jar of clay. I know in and of myself, God, it's not what I breathe. Oh, but it's the treasure that's hidden inside. It's this great gospel. Oh, Jesus, it's your presence by your Spirit. God, for what I have within me is greater and more valuable than anything in this world. Your presence. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. Jesus, draw me close. 
if um, if you're here today and you'd say I have a I have a prodigal child in my life who's not serving the Lord he's just out in this world I think we would do a disservice if we didn't pray about this because I promise you as you as a parent what you feel you can multiply that a hundred times over and you've not touched the affections of the father's heart for that child that you will you just lift your hand you have a prodigal child church look around see the hands are lifted raise them up high if you would let's go to them and let's pray with them could we do that this morning go over and pray with them oh my god god it was you who asked the question could a could a mother who's nursed her baby forget the baby that she nursed and you said no but even if she could god you cannot forget you would not forget those that you have created and knit together in the womb those that you have brought into this world and those who have run away and are are blinded and bound by the lies and the deceptions of this world and of the enemy father we come against those lies in the name of jesus right now stand against them right now father all the addictions that have become controlling issues jesus you are able to break every fetter you are able to set them free completely i pray right now in your name lord for you died for them. You died for this moment. You died that they might be redeemed. You're the elder brother who has come to, to seek and to save that which has been lost. And we give you praise for it. God, I pray right now that you would begin to arrest their attention. That you would begin to con convict them in their spirit by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. That what they've heard in the past, maybe on television, wherever, maybe at church in the past, whatever, what they've heard of your word would begin to rise up within their hearts and would begin to preach to them, God. We begin to speak to them, even in the nighttime hours when they lay on their beds, God, at night, ready to fall asleep. I pray that you would grip their hearts at that very moment in time. I pray that what they've been stuck on, what, what, whatever it is, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, Father, I pray that you would take the influence and the effect of those things away. Let it be a bad taste in their mouth, God. Let, let, let it produce something in them that, that causes them to, to, to repel from it, God. I ask this in Jesus' name right now. You're able to reach around this world wherever they are right now, God. And you're able to begin to shake them even as we pray. God, we stand in their behalf and we call their names out before your throne knowing that you are more than able to save to the uttermost, to deliver completely, to heal and to make whole. God, I give you praise for it. Hallelujah. God, I magnify your name for the salvation of souls. I thank you for our babies, God, that even though they're out from under our roof, they're not out from under your care. Even though they're beyond our reach, oh God, when we hit our knees, they're within the embrace of our intercession and of our prayer, and they can't be removed from that. God, I give you praise and honor and glory right now for what you have done is greater than anything they're stuck in. Hallelujah. God, that there's a home calling going out to them. I thank you for the spirit that calls out to them saying, come home. Come to my heart. Hallelujah. 
And Lord, we claim those souls and we plead the mighty blood of Jesus of Nazareth upon their hearts and upon their minds and upon their souls. God, we claim them to the point. To the point, God, that I believe that you will deal with them. That they can't be taken from this world until you have dealt strongly with their souls. And I give you the praise for it. Hallelujah. Shake them loose of every excuse. Of every bad memory. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And I thank you for the power and the glory of your Holy Spirit. <laughs> They're saved to the uttermost. Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you how you know that God's dealing with them. When God begins to deal with someone and they become uncomfortable with their sin, they become grouchy. So if you call them this week and they're grouchy, when you hang up the phone, just begin to thank the Lord for what he's doing in their life. Don't defend yourself and don't get angry. Just thank the Lord for working in their life. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to the Lord. Well, I don't know what time it is. I don't know whether you're going to beat the Baptist out to lunch or not. But you know what? I'd rather be at this table anyway. It's a better place to eat, isn't it? Praise God. Well, be sure and tell your pastor I love him. Would you do that? And, uh. He and his family are, are special, special. It's good to see Taylor today, wherever she's hiding, right there. The last one at the altar. That's just like a PK for you, I tell you. We, we need it, don't we, hon? You bet. God bless you. Go out and love one another. Love those around you.